Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer survivorship with Jevin Britta. Jevin is a certified physician assistant with the Survivorship Clinic at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Jevin, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. I started back in July of uh, 2018 after graduating um, from my PA program, and uh, I was lucky enough to get the position I have, and uh, I really have to say it's the dream job. That's fantastic. So, you know, the whole concept of cancer survivorship is something that a lot of people might not know too much about. I mean, people kind of think about cancer and they think, okay, you've been given this terrible diagnosis, you go through this terrible treatment, and then there's like this dot, dot, dot. So tell us a little bit more about what cancer survivorship really is and what it entails. Cancer survivorship is really centered around uh, the definition of a cancer survivor. And that is uh, a person who has been diagnosed with cancer for from that time through the remaining balance of his or her life. And that comes from the National Cancer Institute, the NCI, that definition. And so survivorship care focuses around um, the care provided for a survivor um, in that period of time, from the time of diagnosis throughout the remaining balance of his or her life. And so the benefit of cancer survivorship clinics is that we create this net for people to catch their concerns that otherwise might not be addressed during routine follow-up visits um, with their oncology team or other providers as part of their care team. So we talk about things like late effects from treatment. We talk about um, their diagnosis and prognosis. We address healthy lifestyle considerations um, like exercise and nutrition. Um, We talk about health maintenance and cancer screenings and keeping up with um, all of that. And so we really try to catch this wide array of concerns and really meet the person where they're at first and foremost when they come in to see us in our clinic. Yeah, that's so important because, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer and you are going through your treatment, so often you kind of are focused on, okay, I I need to get through surgery, I need to get through chemo, I need to get through radiation. And then on the other side of it, you have persistent questions like, how do I know if my cancer is going to come back? Who do I need to follow up with? And what can I do to reduce my risk? Should I be exercising or not exercising? What should I eat? How how should I go about life? So maybe we can delve into some of those issues um, so that whoever's listening out there can get just a taste of some of the things that you do. So to start with, um, tell us about What are the most common concerns that you hear from patients? We do see a lot of survivorship themes, as we like to call them, coming through. And maybe one of the most common themes is fear of cancer recurrence. And uh, that happens in almost every cancer survivor that we see um, in our clinic. And um, statistically, you know, around 60 to 90 percent of cancer survivors, but I would say it's almost everybody that comes through. And that can really range from minimal fear of cancer recurrence to more significant fear of cancer recurrence, where it's greatly impacting their daily life or maybe their sleep. And it needs to be addressed um, 
you know, in, in some capacity at that point. Um, we also talk a lot about uh, fatigue as it relates back to uh, treatment that someone has had, um, whether that is from, uh, you know, heal, recovering from surgery, um, post-radiation, or post-chemotherapy. Um, and we also want to all make sure we're taking the whole clinical picture into consideration there, thinking about other causes for fatigue as well. But really, our focus is on um, cancer-related fatigue as it relates back to the treatment they've received. And then a very uh, common concern we also address is weight management. And that really encompasses a lot of things um, with regards to physical activity or exercise, as well as uh, nutrition, as you were mentioning before. And those healthy lifestyle recommendations are key um, because of the fact that, one, we know that there are several cancers that benefit from exercise in reducing uh, risk of recurrence. Um, but in addition to that, um, we really want to promote overall healthy lifestyle. And we know that there is benefit to um, eating well, nourishing your body, and getting the right amount of exercise. And there is guidance on that from the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, the NCCN, as well. Let's do a deeper dive into each of those uh, themes. So, you know, first off, the the fear of cancer recurrence. I mean, this is totally justifiable when you've been given a diagnosis of cancer, the fear that it might come back. So how do you address that with patients? I mean, for patients who uh, it's impacting their life, is, is that in the form of an anxiolytic uh, that you prescribe, or is it more in terms of information and how to recognize uh, a cancer uh, if and when it should come back? Or is it reassurance that for the most part, uh, we hope that we would be able to catch recurrences early and treat them? Can you talk a little bit more about how you deal with a patient who comes in and says, Jevin, you know, I'm just, I'm scared to death that this cancer might come back? Yeah, I mean, and and it's there's definitely a lot to unpack there, um, and it really is person dependent. Um, so first, as I mentioned, it really comes down to what their level of fear of recurrence is. So when I'm talking with someone about that, the first thing I want to reassure them of is that this is normal to experience this. And one of the things that you mentioned very astutely, Dr. Changpar, before is that as people are going through their treatment, that's very all encompassing. And will the treatment work? What's uh, what are the side effects from the treatment? How do I manage those side effects? What are the other impacts from uh, having to go through that? And that that can take a lot um, out of someone as they're going through that. So oftentimes, this fear of recurrence and a lot of these emotional concerns start to come in later on after they've completed treatment. So I want to always reassure someone up front that this is normal. This is okay to have these emotions. Um, and we're here to talk about that. So jumping off of that, uh, again, it depends on where someone's at with that level of fear of recurrence. Um, so if they're having more minimal you know, effects uh, from that, then we talk about just that level of reassurance, continuing with routine follow-ups, going for their routine health maintenance, going for their cancer screenings. Um, for example, with a uh, history of breast cancer, Going for annual mammograms is so important to catch anything that might um, recur or present newly. Um, in that case, again, providing that reassurance that someone is doing everything that they can to prevent this from coming back or find something early if it were to come back um, is one of the most important things. And something that we also 
really hone in on is providing that information about someone's diagnosis and prognosis. And we actually have uh, data from the literature that that improves fear of cancer occurrence or reduces it, I should say. What do you do when patients say, okay, you've told me I should get an annual mammogram, but I, I'm still really worried. I had my mammogram, you know, three months ago and it was fine, but I, I'm still concerned that this cancer could be coming back. And I, I think that it might be coming back. How, how do you deal with that? Reassurance that reporting concerning symptoms is first and foremost a thing that someone should be doing with their care team, uh, whether it's the oncology team, whether it's their primary care provider. Um, and one of the things that we have in our survivorship clinic is a survivorship care plan that at the end includes potential symptoms of recurrence and potential late effects from treatment that we review. And so that can be an opportunity to share that information and answer any questions that someone has, especially with regards to concerning symptoms. And a lot of people coming into the visit don't have a great understanding of what they should be looking for or what they should be, you know, not con so concerned about, um, ranging from things like, uh, you know, a common, common cold type symptoms all the way to, for example, the breast cancer, a new lump or something like that. And so reviewing, reviewing that with people, uh, can be reassuring. Um, and again, I try to provide that, uh, that context of, saying, you know, it's important to report any concerning symptoms if you're uncertain to your care team and getting the appropriate workup from there. Yeah. And it's important also to understand that treatment itself can have side effects, some of which patients may get confused between what's a treatment side effect and what could be recurrence. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, definitely. So um, part of those treatment-related side effects, we have you know, lots of information on and a history to go off of, of these being treatment-related side effects. And it's important to distinguish those uh, from what could be a concern for recurrence. One of the most common ones we see in our survivorship clinic is post-surgical pain. And, um, you know, in cancer survivorship, you see a lot of breast cancer survivors. So you might hear me refer to that population a lot, but I want to be clear that we do see all cancer types um, and all you know people coming from any uh, history of cancer diagnosis. But with regards to uh, post-surgical pain, um, providing that reassurance that that is a common late effect after surgery, after radiation therapy, um, compared with the fact that or pain associated with a new breast cancer is less common. Um, that's some level of counseling that I would give in that um, scenario, for example. Yeah. Now, the the next um, big theme that you, you kind of mentioned that patients may complain about is fatigue. So how do patients kind of get over that? Because I, I can imagine that, you know, particularly for patients, for example, who have gone through radiation, there may be fatigue, but there may also be kind of emotional fatigue as well after going through, you know, rounds of chemotherapy, a big, long cancer diagnosis. You might just get tired of cancer, just like many of us are getting tired of COVID. Um, but then there's also the physiologic fatigue as well. So how do you kind of get patients over that sense of, I'm just so dang tired all the time. 
That's a great point, and it's something we see a lot of. And you're right, there is both a physical component to fatigue and an emotional component. And it's important to um, assess that when you're talking with people uh, from the start of the visit when they have concern of fatigue. Um, there are lots of reasons for fatigue. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about fatigue, it's a, it's a multidisciplinary concern for sure that um, each member of our team, our physical therapist, our social worker, and myself, we all talk about. So really um, discussing where that level of fatigue is coming from, um, the timeline after treatment, um, and how that can factor into fatigue. Um, those are all things that we address um, as a team overall. Um, and and how long to expect that fatigue and the recommendations that we would um, provide for fatigue as well. Well, we have to take a short break for a medical minute, but after the break, I hope that we can take a deeper dive into what recommendations you have for fatigue as well as a variety of other issues that might come up during the survivorship period. So please stay tuned to learn more about cancer survivorship with my guest, Jevin Britta. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, presenting the Susan Barris MD Brain Tumor Webinar May 18th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email canceranswers at yale.edu. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine. Quitting smoking is a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment as it's been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital. All treatment components are evidence-based, and patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpart, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Jevin Britta. We're learning more about the field of cancer survivorship. Now, right before the break, Jevin, you were saying that one of the more common things that you hear from cancer survivors as a theme, as you will, um, is this whole aspect of cancer fatigue, whether that's physical fatigue or emotional fatigue. People just get tired. And whether that is a late side effect of things like radiation or whether they just get tired of appointments or whether, you know, they are just run down and run out. Um, but are there any specific recommendations that you can give people that might help them to get some energy back? Yes, exactly. And, and we were talking about how this can really be multifactorial and there are lots of reasons for it. So we typically will talk with people about um, fatigue as it relates back to their treatment, whether it's chemotherapy or radiation, for example, um, and lasting anywhere between up to, or up to 6 to 12 months even. And really, that can be individual, though, and it's not a hard, fast rule that says you will have this fatigue as it relates to the treatment you've had for that exact amount of time. But there are things, thankfully, that you can do to help with uh, fatigue. 
So the first and foremost recommendation I have is staying active, getting exercise. So the NCCN or National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines recommend 30 minutes of moderate level uh, exercise, moderate intensity exercise um, five days a week. So that's a total of 150 minutes or more of exercise a week. And that's something that as part, again, as part of a multidisciplinary clinic, our physical therapists tends to go into um, a bit more in detail and can really hone in on someone's physical limitations, additional um, physical concerns, um, maybe range of motion related concerns, and really do a deeper dive into what the best exercises are for someone and how they can stay active. And that will be one of the best things that someone can do for fatigue. Now, you do realize, Jevin, before you get into the next thing, I, I just have to push back a little bit on the exercise because I can imagine that patients likely will say to you, Jevin, I'm exhausted. How can I possibly exercise? Wouldn't it be better for me to just sleep? Yeah, and it's a very common thing that we hear. Uh, it's like I could hear our, our cancer survivors coming right through you, Dr. Shagpar. Um, and so, yes, it sounds counterintuitive indeed, but uh, believe it or not, it can be helpful. And it's if you get the body moving, your body will respond and want to move more. Um, so that's one thing that I'll talk about with them. But part of it, too, is as we choose not to use our bodies, um, our bodies get used to that state. And our muscles will say, well, I guess we don't need to be used. And it further feeds into that level of fatigue that one may be having. So really trying to get that body conditioned again from that deconditioning that's happened through the treatment and the recovery that they've had is the important thing to focus on. And really starting where someone is at with their level of physical activity is so important because if someone's sedentary all day, say like me sitting around doing documentation all day, suddenly standing up from a chair is more physical activity than I've had throughout most of the day. So it's really about starting where someone is at, taking their physical limitations into consideration, and going from there and building upon that as someone becomes less and less deconditioned. Great. So you were going to tell us some more recommendations with regards to fatigue before I interrupted you. No, that's I appreciate the uh, the interruption. Um, so the other thing that we'll talk about is setting priorities because some people have you know fairly profound fatigue. And you know, setting priorities is important. So really differentiating between what you need to do during the day, what you want to do versus what you don't really need to do and and determining the things that um, are important to get done on a day-to-day -day basis those activities of daily living, as they're called, um, is so important. And finding the time to rest when it's needed. So capitalizing the time uh, when, you're, when you have more energy to be more physically active, but when you feel very fatigued and feel like you can't do that, it's, it's important to listen to your body and rest. But part of that too is getting the appropriate amount of rest as well at night. And that's when we get into some of these other secondary reasons for fatigue, like sleep or medications. And those are things that we'll counsel on as well, depending on um, a person's situation. Perfect. Now, before the break, you were saying that another big area that many patients um, come to talk about is weight management. Um, because you know, weight really does fluctuate with cancer. Some cancers and some treatments make you gain weight. Uh, some make you lose weight. 
And for a number of different cancers, being overweight actually puts you at increased risk of either getting cancer or getting a recurrence of your cancer. And for the majority of the U.S. population, weight's something that all of us struggle with at the get-go, even without a diagnosis of cancer. So what recommendations do you have to get to and maintain ideal body weight? Yeah, so and and that is a big concern that we hear about, as you mentioned, and um, a lot of people going through treatment sometimes will will in fact gain weight, and they come in thinking, I thought I thought I was supposed to lose weight going through cancer treatment, um, but it can sometimes be the opposite effect as well. Um, so what we talk about is really focusing on healthy lifestyle, and I always encourage people to try to focus less on a number. Although there are healthy and appropriate ways to look at weight and a number and and take that into consideration when trying to achieve a goal for weight loss. However, it's important to really focus on lifestyle, nourishing your body with the foods it needs, the nutrients it needs in order to keep moving and be active. And then again, putting that into action and actually being active, doing exercise, some level of physical activity to help manage weight as well. So talk a little bit more about that. I mean, that all sounds very good, but it's kind of a 20,000-foot view. If people come to you and say, Jevin, what practical advice do you have? I mean, how do I actually do this? Are there things I should eat? Are there things I should avoid? Uh, You know, should I do a keto diet? Should I do a paleo diet, Mediterranean? So many patients have questions about, you know, what what should I do? Um, how do you respond to that? It's a great question. And, and we have so many people, you're right, coming in asking about specific diets or plans that they should be adhering to. And, you know, the, the truth of it is, is that oftentimes people trying to stick to a diet, um, and I use that word very pointedly here, um, often end up falling off a cliff with that because what happens is, is a lot of these diets that are out there become too restrictive and it becomes difficult to adhere to it. And then that can be very discouraging for people and actually have uh, a reverse effect where someone falls off of this diet and falls back into poor uh, eating habits, um, maybe things that they were challenged with before trying to adhere to the diet. So really the focus is around plant-based nutrition and trying to get plenty of vegetables and whole grains and healthy types of protein into your nutrition each day. And it's about portion size. It's about the types of meats you're choosing like fish and poultry, limiting red meats, limiting highly processed foods, limiting added sugars for overall health and well-being, um, and as a way to help with weight management overall. And so, you know, one of the questions that we often get asked with regards to plant-based diets is, but, but, but don't I need protein? Um, How can I get protein if I'm eating a plant-based diet? Uh, What do you say to that? Yeah, it's a great question. And something I always tell people whenever talking about a plant-based diet is by that, I do not mean going or becoming vegetarian or vegan. It means getting plenty of vegetables and whole grains as part of your diet. So when you look at a plate, there's a great resource um, that we have and we provide with patients and to patients, and it's um, a circular disc and it shows 
portions on this disc that you can go and slide around the top part to, to see. Two thirds of the plate should be made up of vegetables and whole grains. Your other third should be your source of protein like chicken or fish or, or um, something like that. And beyond that, you know, you can have carbohydrates, but don't make it the mainstay of the meal. Really focus on those larger servings of vegetables and whole grains as part of your, your meals throughout the day. Perfect. You know, the other question that I think a lot of patients might have as they're thinking about this fear of recurrence and, and trying to get healthier, healthier into air quotes, um, are vitamins and supplements and alternative uh, therapies. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Um, are there supplements that people should be using or not using? How do you, how do you advise patients when they come in and they say, I just read this article in this magazine about this herb or this natural supplement that is supposed to cure cancer or prevent it from coming back? It's a great question. It's one of the most common things that we talk about in our clinic as well. And I will say, you know, with as it relates to nutrition, supplements, exercise, all of it is individual. And if there if you have any questions about that, you should always consult with your care team, your providers, um, and before making a significant lifestyle change. But specifically with regards to supplements, I don't have any specific recommendations that I make in our clinic. Um, but again, I will say if someone has a nutritional deficiency, again, it's important to talk with your care team about that and take the appropriate supplements that you might need. Assuming that that's not the case, I don't give any specific recommendations for taking supplements because believe it or not, we actually can get almost all of what we need from our nutrition. And we're blessed in the country that we live in here in the United States that we actually have great access to food. Um, and a lot of the foods that we eat are rich in the supplements or the vitamins rather and nutrients that we need. And so really trying to focus on this plant-based nutrition, incorporating a wide variety of different fruits and vegetables is so important to get those different vitamins in our bodies each day. And the great thing about that too is there's a good guide to follow. It's eat the colors of the rainbow. And our I have to give credit to our registered dietitian who was in our clinic uh, for this one. Um, and she would counsel on this a lot, but trying to look at the rainbow as a good guide for picking out different fruits and vegetables to eat throughout the day. Try to get as many of those colors in to get those what are called phytonutrients or plant-based nutrients in each and every day. So that's a great tip. And you make a great point about, you know, living in the U.S. and having access to fruits and vegetables. But one of the other issues is that not all patients and not all cancer survivors have the same resources. So unfortunately, some of our patients may live in food deserts where getting fresh fruits and vegetables is really hard, on top of which it can be a bit expensive for some patients. And patients are dealing with the financial toxicity of their treatments, their doctor's visits. So what recommendations do you have for patients who are struggling with another form of survivorship toxicity. And that that's the kind that hits the pocketbook. Yes. And that is a, a strong concern that a lot of people have as well. And a lot of um, people, when they think about healthy eating, 
they think to what the media sort of puts out there in, in a lot of ways or what we see on TV shows or in the movies or on commercials where it's like you're eating all these organic, fresh, non-GMO uh, foods and, and all of these, um, you know, more expensive options. But the reality is there are a lot of inexpensive options. And one example for you know this is frozen fruits and vegetables, believe it or not. And oftentimes these are flash frozen. This is another tip I had learned uh, from our, our dietitians in that they are flash frozen. And so you can certainly go to the store, pick up some frozen uh, vegetables, um, for example, and, and get the nutrients you need from that as well. So that's one of, of many tips um, that you might get, but I would recommend talking with a registered dietitian um, about those options as well. And for patients who are struggling with their medical bills? Yes, uh, and that is so important to address during the visit as well. I would advise that anyone going through that, reach out to their care team and talk about the resources that exist to help with financial concerns. Jevin Breda is a certified physician assistant with the Survivorship Clinic at Smilo Cancer Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.